we look with, with more depth at this passage of Scripture, that you would help us to see, that you would help us to, to remain focused on what you have to say to us. Father, I pray that the words that I speak would not merely be me speaking, but that you could actually speak through what I say today. Speak to us all, we pray. Amen. This morning we're, we're continuing with our three-year-long series through the Gospel of Luke. And I call it the Gospel of Luke because it's really part two of the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel finishes with Jesus' uh, death and, and resurrection and it continues in the book of Acts with, with the work of the church from there onwards. Last week we, we looked in, in chapter 12, I think, at, at, at how Luke says to us to be bold in what we pray for. Remember we saw Peter in jail on the night before he was about to be so-called tried and executed, miraculously released, and finding the church disbelieving that God could actually have done that. This morning we're shifting as we go to chapter 13 with Luke, the focus away from Peter, and we're going to look some more at Saul. We're going to see from here onwards the gospel, the good news, the, the Christian faith spreading out to reach the corners of the earth. Remember what Jesus said, uh, you will be my, my witnesses in, in Jerusalem and Judea and, and to the ends of the earth. And we're in that last stage now. Just for curiosity's sake, um, I'm going to be saying Saul for most of this passage and about halfway through I'll start switching into Paul. Um, this is actually the time when Saul starts using his Roman name because he's starting to deal more and more with non-Jewish Gentile people. And it's probably a good idea. I hadn't realized this, but, but apparently the name Saul in Greek is not a good name to have. Um, Saul was, was an adjective in Greek, Saulos, and it... Um, the dictionary definition is acting in an effeminate way. Acting a bit like a pansy. Not, not really the kind of message you want, name you want to have if, you, if you're being serious with people. Anyway, he switches over because he, he wants people to listen to what he has to say and not be worried about his name. We're starting here with, with the first missionary journey of Saul and Barnabas. not in the same league, but have I ever told you the story of the first missions trip that I ever went on? It wasn't a, wasn't a major overseas mission trip. It, it was just a, a group of young people making our way down to Esperance and sometimes up to um, Geraldton. And we'd set up a bit of a cafe there and we'd, we'd serve coffee and tea and cold drink and cakes and whatnot. And, and we'd invite people to come in off the street and we'd sit them down, we'd take their order, we'd bring them their stuff, and we'd sit ourselves down opposite them and start chatting. The idea being that, that we'd, we'd try and have a conversation about faith. At some point in the evening, one of us would get up and deliver a testimony. And all the time that, that we were out the front, there was a group of people out the back praying for what was happening in the front of the room. 
sitting there asking God to just guide those conversations so that they might touch on deep things, on, on issues of the faith, asking that, that perhaps God could, could see a new person coming to the kingdom that night. So something I'd never, ever done before. Um, back in those days, I was very, very shy. I didn't like speaking to people. This was totally out of my comfort zone. But you know, I, I just kept going back. Three or four years I went back because I was blown away by seeing what God was doing. And the thing which really struck me was the way that God would answer prayers. We'd, we'd sit in the back room and, and, and we'd have a notebook there and every now and again somebody would come through from the front saying, uh, pray for so-and-so, pray for this, pray for that, pray for that. And we'd write it down in the book. And then we'd pray. And then maybe an hour later we get another messenger saying, right, tick that one off, tick that one off. That's been answered, that's been answered, that's been answered. Such an amazing thing to see God working. Exciting stuff. You, you can probably see I, I still get excited about it. You know, as we look here in, in, in the first few verses of chapter 13, I, I, I can picture the church in Antioch having that same sort of enthusiasm for prayer, that, that same sense of expecting God to do great things. I mean, this was a church that was looking to see where God was going to take them next was a, a, a congregation that had been blessed by God with, with an incredible array of prophets and teachers from, from all over the world. Uh, people from Africa, people from Jerusalem, people from, I don't know where, uh, Cyrene. Um, Who have we got? Chapter 13, verse 1. Barnabas. Uh, he's from Cyprus. Uh, lived most of his life in Jerusalem. Simeon called Niger. Probably a black man. That's what Niger means. Lucius of Cyrene, North Africa. Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Menaean, who was the foster brother of the man who had cut off John's head. There in the church. And Saul. What an incredible leadership that God has got there. Leaders who are, who are able to teach the church what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Leaders who have the gift of prophecy, of, of discerning God's movement of His Spirit. But you know, this church, this Acts 3 Antioch church, didn't just decide on a whim one morning that they were going to start a missions program. They didn't wake up and say, right, let's send Barnabas and Saul away. Look what Luke says to us in, in verse 2. They were worshipping the Lord and fasting and while they were doing that, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for me. And I think we've got to say that, that, that the, people who were pray, uh, the people who were fasting and worshipping was the whole church come together. When, when Saul and, and Barnabas return and report back, they report to the whole congregation. Here is the whole of the Antioch church worshipping the Lord and fasting 
And God says, set those two men apart. But it's interesting where where the NIV says they were worshipping. The word that Luke actually uses is they were serving. They were serving God and they were fasting. Or to put it another way, as Luke does in, in chapter 13, verse 3, they were fasting and they were praying. I don't know about you, but that is an incredible thought to me. The, the idea that, that prayer is worship. That prayer is one of the ways that we serve God. At our last members meeting, I think it was the last members meeting, Reg read out a bit of a book from John Stott. Um, And the main point was that all of us are in ministry here for God. And it seems to me, looking at Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, it seems to me that one of the ways we are in ministry for God is by praying as a church. Is by coming together as a body of believers and seeking God's will for ourselves and for our congregation. You know, this church in Antioch is not, they're not just getting together for a, a casual pray around the water cooler. Luke says to us they are praying and they are fasting. They are so keen on seeing God's will for their lives that they put aside even the demands of their stomachs. They weren't eating because they wanted to focus their, their, their whole energy, their, their whole attention on God. On speaking to Him. On listening for His answer. This is a church, such a contradiction to last week's church. This is a church who is praying and expecting God to work among them. If you'll excuse the pun, this is a church hungry for God. What an example that is for us, isn't it? What an example of of a church taking time out to seek God's will. I I really do pray that, that, that our church might have just a fraction of that sort of hunger for God. That, that we'd be driven to, to, to pray together, to serve God in this way. Because, I mean, we saw it last week, when we pray, God does more than we can even begin to imagine. I mean, here the church in Antioch prays and fasts, and God honors their prayer and their service and their fasting. And He says, set apart these two men, and the result of their prayer meeting is that the Gospel goes out. I'm going to give you a notice, early notice, end of March. We've got a half day of prayer scheduled. Uh, The elders and I are are very keen to do a a, a time of congregational prayer, uh, sort of once every quarter. 
I want to challenge you today to, to think about coming along and, and serving God on that day and we'll, we'll pray together and we'll see where God leads us. You know, Reg said, just as an aside, he was reading, he said, you know, this could happen here. Let's pray and see what happens. Here in Antioch, the church prays and God says, take these two men and, and, and set them out. Send them away to do my work. And when you think of it, that is such a huge ask for the church in Antioch. I mean, this was a thriving congregation. This was, this was a church that was going places. This was a church that was growing. This was a church with, with they had to have five leaders in it. It was so big. This was a church where there was so much work that had to be done. Back in chapter 11, Luke says to us, Barnabas was there and, and he had to go and fetch Paul to say, Paul, come and join me in the work here at Antioch. I reckon Barnabas and Saul could have spent so much time, could have spent the rest of their lives working in the Antioch church. Could have done amazing things, could have grown the church to, to be the first mega church back in the first century. They were incredible teachers and, and preachers and, and prophets. But God said, send these two men out. And so the church sent them out. They laid hands on them, they blessed them, they commissioned them. Because this was a church, this was a church willing to obey God regardless of the cost to themselves. This was a church whose focus was on serving the kingdom, not, not on growing themselves, not on serving their own needs. And it started with prayer and fasting and seeking God's face. Anyway, Saul and Barnabas, or, or Barnabas and Saul, are sent out by the church. They, they go off and, and they start making their way the 25-odd kilometers down from Antioch in the mountains to the port of, of Seleucia. I guess you'd kind of say that, that, that Seleucia was to Antioch what Fremantle is to Perth. It was the port for, for the big town of Antioch. And when they got there, they, they jumped on a boat and they, they headed off towards the island of Cyprus. Apparently, uh, on a good day, you, you could stand there and you could see over the horizon the island of Cyprus there. Uh, Barnabas, who I like to call Barney, it's a much nicer name, old Barney w was a man who came from Cyprus. And I reckon he, he must have had a hankering to go back and tell all the people he'd grown up with about this the salvation that he'd found about who Jesus was. So they head off. And Luke tells us in, in chapter 13, verse 5, that, that they arrive in Salamis and, and straight away they, they start 
going to the Jewish meeting places and the synagogues and, and they're telling people the good news of Jesus and, and explaining from, from the Scriptures what God has done. Not told much of what they were actually preaching. All that Luke says to us is that they landed there, they started preaching. In verse 6, they started making their way across the island. Salamis is, is in the northeast of Cyprus. And they made their way along the island all the way to the southwest, to the capital city of Paphos. And I'm sure every time they met someone, they'd, they'd pull them over and say, G'day, mate. My name's Saul. This is Barnabas. I want to tell you about this bloke that we met. And eventually they arrived at the island, at the, the island capital of Paphos. And when they got there, they met two very different people. Verse 6, first off, they met a Jewish man who, who called himself Bar-Jesus. Which literally means son of Jesus or, or son of salvation. Might have been Jewish by birth, but, but this bloke that they met... He stood for everything that was against God. Luke tells us that he was a sorcerer. Pretty clear he was a false prophet. man who had managed to wrangle a, a pretty cushy job of being the religious advisor to the proconsul, to, to the governor of the island. And probably... Probably they had a chat with him and, and Luke doesn't tell us but I suspect not much came of their talk with him. They meet him first. And then in verse 7 the governor himself, Sergius Paulus, sends for them. This, this is the other bloke they meet there. Luke says in verse 7, Sergius Paulus is an intelligent kind of guy. Someone who is was open to hearing the Word of God. Someone who, who wanted to hear the Word of God. I get the impression that, that old Sergius Paulus was, was, was a man who had a very keen interest with the supernatural. He, he liked to know about spirituality and stuff. Um, after all, he did have a bloke called Son of Salvation on his payroll. Last Thursday evening, just, just a few days ago, uh, I saw, a, a, um, as usual, a very hard-hitting report on Today Tonight. I don't know if anyone else watched Today Tonight last Thursday. High-quality journalism. The story that struck me that, that evening was, was a woman in Queensland who had moved into what I think was a, an old nursing home, and that nursing home was, was inhabited by ghosts. And um, today, tonight, sent along a reporter and a camera crew to, to watch as a team of professional ghost hunters. I'm serious, they have a company to do this. Went through the house trying to see if there were really ghosts there. And at one point they asked one of the company reps how business was doing and and the rep looked at the camera and said, you know, we, 
We're getting two or three phone calls a day. It never ceases to amaze me in a country like Australia how much fascination there is for, for the supernatural, for, for the spiritual, even the magical. Was it a few years ago that they had a TV program about finding Australia's best psyche? I reckon that, that a huge percentage of the population knows their star sign and probably a large percentage actually look up their horoscope every now and again. And I'm afraid I have to admit that when I look at these people, first thought that crosses my mind is that they're, they're one fry short of a Happy Meal. Slightly nuts. And yet here in, in, in Acts chapter 13, Luke introduces us to Sergius Paulus, a man interested in the spiritual side of things, and he says in verse 7, this is an intelligent man. Yes, an intelligent man who'd been sucked in by a charlatan. Yes, an intelligent man who had completely got the wrong end of the stick when it came to, to the truth. But, but an intelligent man who wanted to know the truth. And when I think about it, I, I reckon I'm also into the supernatural. I hope you are into the supernatural. I mean, after all, we serve Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, just maybe someone's interest in the spiritual side of things can be an entrance for the gospel to come into their lives. Sergius Paulus hears about, about Barnabas and Saul walking through his island telling the news of salvation through Jesus. And he says, I want to hear about this. And he has them brought to his palace so that, so that they can speak to him. And of course we've got good old, good old Bar Jesus, I like his Greek name, Elimas. Of course, we've got him there trying his very best to, to stop Sergius Paulus believing in Jesus. Because if Sergius Paulus decided to follow Jesus, he would have no need for the lies and the deceit and the trickery of Elimas. Just a few weeks ago, at the beginning of the year, uh, there was a new law that, that came into effect in Ireland. I don't know if, you've, if any of you have heard of it. It's, it it's, it's a new blasphemy law. The main point of this law is, is, is that it makes it illegal to offend any religious group. But what I find interesting is that they brought in this new law to replace an old blasphemy law that said you will get into trouble if you speak blasphemy against the God of the Bible. And the new law is meant to come and say, we live in a, a, a religiously pluralistic society. Everyone has their faith. We've got to respect them all. 
tolerance. I mean, that's Ireland and the Irish, Irish people are sometimes a bit strange, but no Irish people here, are there? Oh. Moving on. <laughs> I'll be tolerant of you. You know, that idea of tolerance is just as rife here in Australia. The idea that, that any belief and, and any faith has, has just as much right to be heard as another. This is what we see here in Acts chapter 13. Saul and Barnabas, or at this stage Paul and Barnabas, are, are busy trying to, to convince Sergius Paulus about the truth of Jesus Christ. And Elymas is interrupting, trying to put his own little spin on things. Says Luke, trying to, trying to drag Sergius Paulus away from the faith. And just look at, at Paul's reaction. Looks Elymas straight in the eye. Looks by Jesus, this man who dares to call himself Son of Salvation. Looks at him and he says, You're the son of the devil. You stand for, for everything that is wrong. You're the enemy, enemies. You're a liar. You're a trickster. Yeah, you're Jewish by birth, but how long are you going to take what God has said and, and twist it? Won't you ever stop perverting God's word for your own, for your own ends? What do you do when somebody works against the gospel? Paul's not afraid to call Elymas out. Because Paul understood what was actually happening there. Elymas was trying to cut Sergius Paulus off from any hope of being saved. And we can't, we can't take something like that lightly. If you went down and you were walking along the foreshore this afternoon and you saw some children playing on the swings and you saw somebody come up saying, I'm a druggie, I've got some heroin here, kids, who want some heroin? Well, of course, we'll, we'll stand by and say, well, it's a lifestyle choice. We know what those drugs are going to do to the kids. So we have an obligation to stand up and say, No! And in the same way, don't we have an obligation when someone is being deceived away from the gospel of Jesus Christ to stand up and say, No!
don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that, that we should force everyone to be Christians. I, I, I think it's important that, that, that it seems to me they, they met Elimus first in verse 6. And Paul didn't immediately say, you wicked man, be blind. I'm sure he told him the gospel and then went away. But when somebody threatens another person's salvation, it is our duty to contend for the faith. And do just notice that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit when he spoke to Elimas. This is, this is God who says, this is wrong. And I'm sure God can, can fill us as well in that time of need. When God acted in power and, and Elimas was blinded for a time, isn't that grace? Blind for a time so that maybe he could come and see the light. And as God's power is shown, Sergius Paulus, that intelligent man, it's, I'm sure it must have been like scales falling off his own eyes. And, and he sees God's power and he says, I believe this gospel. I believe the teaching about the Lord. Here in Acts chapter 13, we've seen two things. We've, we've seen a church that wants to be used by God. And we've seen God using the church who wants to be used. My prayer for us as a congregation is, is that we might seek God's face. That God might use us. Maybe use you. You know who I'm pointing to. And that we might be bold in sharing the gospel. Because our God most certainly does reign. Amen. It is in Christ alone that our hope is found. He is the truth. He is the focus.
Wants to talk. <laughs> 